Plundergrounds number 97, a return to talking about audiobooks. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. I've had a lot of great call-ins about audiobooks hanging out on my phone since earlier this summer when I did my fairly long episode on audiobooks, and it seemed to get a really good response. There's a lot of audiobook listeners out there and uh, people who appreciate a good audiobook. So I wanted to get to those call-ins because we get some cool recommendations and some cool thoughts to talk about. So you will hear those call-ins first, and then I feel like the real meat of the episode, it's, it's hard to say that because there's a lot of good ideas that come before it, but... At the very end, we have um, Aaron Clark, who called in and asked about audiobook technology, uh, ways to play it, ways to store it, talk about um, organizing your audiobooks, that kind of stuff. And I could probably talk about that forever, so I'm going to leave it till the end, and I would consider that the stuff that, you know, you might, uh, if you want to take away, if you want to learn something, <laughs> then just hang around till the end, and you'll get a lesson Hey Ray, this is Jim. Uh, listened to your audiobook episode. It reminded me when I was a kid, I had a little record player, an old one that played 78s, I think. So, um, <laughs> I had the uh, usual uh, collection of the book and records, the speedy little taxi, little engine that could. Um, <laughs> All kinds of stuff. We'll just leave it at that. Um, eventually graduating to the uh, um, soundtrack. I thought I was buying or getting the uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Like the music. But I was getting somebody telling the story and then there was a book that went with it. Eventually I found some... Uh, there was a Conian... So, as I was saying, uh, Conan book didn't, or it was a record, a regular, not a 45, 33, and um, it had different stories on there, and then the uh, Conan the Barbarian movie on uh, record 33 again, no book, but you know. So... Yeah, yeah, the growing up, I guess I did have audiobooks, and I don't mind listening to them, you know, it's helpful, and some of the readers, of course, would, it, you know, I love listening to different voices and stuff, and accents and all that, so, there's a story about talking to Wayne Reynolds in there one time, so, take care guys, and good night. Hey, Jim. Yeah, you are referencing power records, aren't you? I think. Um, there were a lot of those out that had little stories that went along with books. And one of the cool things about YouTube these days is that a lot of that stuff has been saved in a way that's easily consumable. So you don't have to have the physical properties. And I will put some links to those Conan stories. Uh, there were there was a record that had, I think there were two records that had three or four stories each on them. So I listened to them a while back because I discovered them. There was one that's uh, there's one that's like the story of the movie, and I don't think that one has a comic book, as you mentioned. But there's there's several that are uh, reworks of either Howard or Lynn Carter's Conan stories in 
into little comic book forms, or maybe they're based on Roy Thomas's comics. I don't know. Conan has had so many iterations, it's hard to keep them all straight. But I will link to those. Power records were cool, and I think a lot of people of a certain age, I'm, I was it's a little bit too old for them. They came kind of at the end of when I was listening to story records. But I do remember a couple of them, and people that are younger than I am, by just a year or two, you know, just a few years, um, really are were into those or really had that experience. Just like Star Wars action figures, by the way, I just missed that. Like, I saw Star Wars when I was 10, and by the time the action figures got really hot, um, I lived in the Midwest, and, uh, you know, I was boys didn't play with action figures, dolls, if you will, and uh, I was a little too old to enjoy playing with those things because I felt judged, right, um, even though I thought they were cool. My friends had them, uh, some of my younger friends had them, and I was, like, so envious that they had all these Star Wars figures, but I just couldn't, you know, couldn't bring myself to um, have them in my room because I was afraid I'd get made fun of or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, society's cruel. <laughs> it also saved me a lot of money, though, in that case. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm old. Hey, Ray, it's Liren. I'll tell you what, I know Rick Offerman from, I, it's either on Vimeo or YouTube, the Gunslinger skit. Oh my gosh, it is hilarious. I don't know if you've found that yet. I'm going to have to remember to dig up the link to it and send it to you on MeWe because if you haven't seen that, I laugh so hard. We go back and watch that occasionally because it is just so funny. I mean, if you don't like swearing, it's not your thing. But if you're listening to Nick Offerman, you're probably okay with a bit of swearing. Anyway, I encourage you guys to listen to that. It is so funny. And I mean, it's a video, so you'd have to watch it. But it's even funny to listen to, I have to say. Sometimes one of the phrases from it will just get stuck in my head. And uh, it's one of those things that my husband and I quote back and forth to each other. Wow, it seems like I have a lot to share on the subject of audiobooks. Um, I think one of the things that bothers me about people who have too low a voice when they're narrating an audiobook, I absolutely love audiobooks, but if their voice is too low, I'll tell you what happens to me is any background noise at all drowns them out. I think that's the thing that bothers me about it. I mean, I really have to have headphones on and be in a pretty quiet environment to be able to properly enjoy an audiobook with a person with a low voice. And most of the time I'm listening to an audiobook because I'm doing something else and it's rarely quiet while I'm doing something else. So that's been my experience. I know what you mean though. Great narrators. Oh, some of the Terry Pratchett books. I mean, I love all of them. Trust me. I love everything he did, but the narrators of some of them are just awesome. I cannot remember the guy's name. I like so much. If I figure it out, I'll call again. Hey Ray, it's Liren yet again. I think my favorite audiobook ever is probably Fool by Christopher Moore. The guy who reads that is just brilliant, and that story, if you like Shakespeare at all, that story is so sharp and witty, and I just, I'll tell you, when I listened to that, I immediately listened to it again, and I've probably listened to that a dozen times now. Every couple years, every year maybe, I'll go back and re-listen to that. It's so good. And that's yet another thing that my husband and I will occasionally fling references to back and forth. 
Oh my gosh, Laren. <laughs> that Nick Offerman video is hilarious. I had never seen that before. It takes a little while to get going, but it is so good. Uh, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes and encourage everybody to watch it. That is that is a lot of fun. Like you said, it's got some salty language. Not a ton, but enough that you wouldn't want to play it loud in front of your kids if you're worried about that kind of thing. Boy, is it funny. Uh, and thank you for sharing your favorite audiobook, both here and then you mentioned one later in the podcast that we'll get to, a Terry Pratchett book. And uh, I will probably listen to both of those. I actually like to get people's like number one or number two uh, books that they listen to on a long drive because I find that when people recommend print books to me, there's not as much overlap as when they recommend audiobooks to me because there's other factors in play, right? Like a really good voice or a really good reading of something or something that's really well-suited to listening to in the car um, can, can carry over other factors. I'll give you an example. I bought a book on sale, and I, I hope I haven't told this story before, but um, you know, forgive me if I'm doing the old man ramble. But I bought a book on sale called The Earth Moved, and it was, uh, I don't know, about earthworms. And I thought, oh, that sounds kind of interesting, and picked it up for like three bucks one day on the Audible Daily Deal, which I watched religiously. And uh, let me tell you, I enjoyed the heck out of that book. Uh, the author read it. I don't know that she was all that great of a voice, but I like the fact that it was the author reading it, and she did a good job with it. And uh, it was just parsed well, just like sectioned well for easy listening. I would listen to it while I was walking my dog. And I remember when they got to the part on earthworm sex, uh, I, I, I know I used to walk my dog really late at night. And I was glad I was walking at night because I know I was walking around with my face all squinched up thinking about the weird stuff they were talking about earthworm sex. <laughs> and uh, all, the, all the various slimy parts of it. <laughs> and uh, I also know that I got a little aggravated at one point because they were talking about experiments they were doing on earthworms. This is, uh, I, th I know I've talked about this before. I actually talked about this all the way back um, in my episode on um, clerics as kind of evil uh, genetic, in, uh, what, how would you say it, like um, inventors or mutation experimenters or something. So, uh, but yeah, that was a cool book. And so I like to get people's recommendations of their, you know, top couple books that they listen to in the car while walking. Okay. Um, what else did you mention in there? I think, oh, deep voices. So yeah, that happens as we get older, you know, the range of hearing that we have, uh, loses some on the top end and the bottom end. And if you want an illustration of that, kids used to have, uh, and I assume they might still have ringtones called mosquito tones that you can put on your phone and they are so high pitched that most adults can't hear them. There's a website somewhere, if I can find it, I'll link it where you can test your own hearing against it. And you start walking down these ringtones until you can hear them. And then every ringtone above that you can't hear, obviously, but kids, most kids can uh, because they have so much better hearing. Well, when you're young, and I remember this distinctly, I used to love to listen to two and three conversations at once to see how many I could keep up with and, and you know, have relevant comments for. And that was more easily done when you could hear a wider range. So if you have two people with different voices, you can keep them separate in your head. But when your hearing starts to decline, you're lopping off like the top end of their pitch and maybe the bottom end of another person's pitch. And it compresses everything into kind of a flat zone where they interfere with each other more. Now, I'm not a scientist. This is kind of just based on my experience and a little bit of guesswork about what I know about um, sound waves and, and 
how you jam sound waves and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I think it makes it much harder for us to hear voices that are high or low if there's any kind of distracting noise. And I think that's what happens with low-pitched audiobook readers. It's not that I don't like low voices. I, I love low voices. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to love, it was a Bowser on Sha Na Na, right? <laughs> hey, Mr. Bass Man. You know, I, I, love, I love those deep voices, but it's hard to it's hard to make out what they're saying in an audiobook if there's any other noise uh, going along. So actually now my favorite voices for audiobooks are, I would almost describe them as strident. They're kind of right in that middle range. They're uh, like me, a little bit nasal maybe because they kind of punch through. And yeah, those are the, those are the ones that really, I guess, resonate with me that it's easy for me to hear, um, and then it makes listening more relaxing if I can hear it easily, even if there's distractions. And so, yeah, I get all that, and I appreciate the comment because that that's an interesting point to make. Hey, Ray, Spencer here. I'm uh, just over five minutes into your audio book episode, and um, it just kind of dawned on me how I've been giving myself a bit of a hard time recently for not reading so much and um kind of not taking into account the fact that my eyesight's not great you know it's not what it used to be my uh, my condition means that i struggle with fine motor skills so turning pages is a problem and even holding a book for any length of time can be become extremely uncomfortable quite quickly um and uh yeah also that sense of guilt claiming that you've read a book when you've actually listened to it and uh i just realized that kind of none of that's important at all and i should really get stuck into audiobooks so thanks also i've spent my life saying elric of melnibone uh and uh melnibone sounds so much nicer hi ray me again I just have to say, what a fabulous episode. I mean, there's so much to be getting on with there. I mean, that's going to keep me busy from now until doomsday. Um, and I'm sure we've at least got a couple of good years left. Anyway, um, just one thing. I'm not sure how I feel about you picking Jim Dale's Harry Potter over Stephen Fry's Harry Potter, especially when in the next breath... You mentioned Jeeves and Worcester. I mean, bleh. Okay, Spencer, you got me. Uh, choosing Jim Dale over Stephen Fry has a couple problems. One, it goes against my own rule about having people read in their native language if they can, and I realize that uh, both of those are English, but Stephen Fry has a British accent, and as far as I know, Jim Dale is not British, and so probably I don't know that he has an accent. He didn't come across as having any kind of accent to me. So Stephen Fry should be the preferred listening experience there. I prefer Jim Dale perhaps because I heard it first. I have listened to both of them all the way through, the Stephen Fry readings and the Jim Dale readings. The thing I do prefer about the Stephen Fry readings is that they use the British words, whereas sometimes in the American editions of the Harry Potter books, they have substituted uh, American English for British English. Um, and sometimes they don't. It's really odd. For instance, for a long time, it, it, I didn't realize that when Dumbledore was sucking on lemon sherbets, that that's the same as a lemon drop here in the United States. So 
uh, it's interesting what they choose to change and what they don't. I believe there, uh, for instance, the first book was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and here it's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, because they were afraid the American market wouldn't be familiar with the idea of the Philosopher's Stone, which is a crime. I hate it when they dumb down things based on the assumption of the lowest common denominator, but whatever. Uh, yeah, and uh, I loved your, I loved titling your call-in Funny Bonet with the accent mark instead of Funny Bone, and your comment about Mel, 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 uh, Melnibone. It takes me a second to even say it that way. I have always said Melnibonet. Um, I don't know where I picked that up, and I don't even know how Moorcock pronounces it. He may say Melnibone. But yeah, Melnibonet sounds uh, much more... I'd rather say I'm from Melnibonet. Uh, I can't say it now. I'd rather say I am from Melnibonet than to say I'm from Melnibone, right? Uh, Melnibone. Isn't that, in, isn't that Australia? I think that's in Australia. <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, uh, your first message kind of touched me, actually. I think that's great. It is so silly how we get caught up in people judging us for our reading. That's just dumb. Uh, I mean, it's not dumb. It's it's human nature. But if if I in any way gave you the courage to enjoy reading again, then I feel extremely gratified. Um, it gives me the warm fuzzies because I love reading and I love talking to people about reading. And I don't care if they read the book by audio or if they read the book in print or if they read the book on a subway or in a quiet library or standing on their head. It doesn't matter. Um, you don't even have to broadcast that stuff. However you read a book is how you read the book, right? And what you got out of it is what you got out of it. And some people can get more out of an audio book than other people can and get out of a print book. Um, and it just is, a, it's about the experience. You don't have, it doesn't matter what you read. It doesn't matter, even if you finish a book, sometimes you can read the first half of a book and think it's going nowhere. Um, and you can still talk about it with people. You know, you can talk about it with somebody who finished the book and they'll tell you, yeah, you were right. I wish I'd quit halfway through. Or no, man, you missed it. The last half of that book was amazing. And you can say, well, what happened? I don't think I'm ever going to go back and read it. Give me the rest, you know. Um, or maybe I'll, okay, I'll go back and pick it up again. And then we can talk about it. I, I just think it's amazing. That whole shared experience of books is incredible. It's a little bit like you get with modules in the old Advanced Dungeons and Dragons days where people can talk about their common experience in modules, you know. What happened to you in the Tomb of Horrors? Oh, man, my group, we, you know, we stuck our hand in the mouth and like all this you know, um, and you can, there's a, a camaraderie that is built up that way. Or, or if you have favorite TV shows you watch together, I mean, I know I'm always making, uh, references to Seinfeld. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a line, there's so many lines from Seinfeld that I quote that's become, become part of my vocabulary. And if somebody else has also seen the show a million times, right, um, and they get it, then that gives me a, a feeling of friendship and fun that we can have together. That it's like we have our own little secret language. And books are like that. If you've read a book and I've read a book, um, we can talk about our experiences with that book. If we both loved it, it's a magical conversation. If one of us loved it and the other hated it, we have to tread carefully and respect each other's opinions, but it's enlightening. I can figure out why you didn't like it, and maybe you can figure out why I did. Uh, if we both hated it, then it's also fun on a different level as you you know, you know sit around and trash it. Um, but yeah, man, just read. Don't worry about it. Just read. There's no wrong way to read a book. Hey, Ray. Evil Jeff. Listened to your military science fiction list and had an opportunity to talk to my dad. Told him the list. And one of the things that he was very adamant about to begin with, even as I started off the list, was saying uh, the Dorsai novels should be on there. Not having read them myself, wasn't certain. 
but I wasn't going to argue with him too much. Um, he also had a his own issue with your with, with calling Fahrenheit 451 and um, the Good Earth dystopian novels. No, I'm sorry, uh, 1984. Sorry, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 dystopian novels. Uh, and it might have been because I confused him with talking about sci- military science fiction beforehand. So, just want to let you uh, hear a little bit of that. Well, you tell your old man that I... Uh, <laughs> it makes me think of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the cockpit of Airplane. When <laughs> when the kids give him a hard time about how his dad says he's dogging it every night up and down the field, uh, up and down the court. And, <laughs> and uh, Jabbar is trying to pretend that he's not... Uh, yeah, well, you've seen the movie or you haven't. It's either funny or it isn't. Hey, uh, so Dorsai. I have never read the Dorsai stories. And yeah, those probably definitely belong in some kind of science fiction hall of fame. Those in the Lensman series both are kind of early galactic war uh, stories and that have you know a long history. And I just never read them. And so my list only includes books that I've read. And that's that's a, a limitation that I stayed up front. So your dad is right on that one. As far as the other one, he's wrong. Um, and you can tell him I said so. No, uh, don't do that. Uh, but <laughs> I'm sure you're right. He was probably confused that you were still talking about military science fiction. But 1984 and Fahrenheit 451, if you Google um, dystopian books, they will be in the top 10 every time as hits. They are basically... Some of the books that the uh, that the definition of the genre is built on, and so they're absolutely what I would think of as dystopian books. Now they're also other things. They're science fiction. They're you know political commentary. Um, you know, it's just lots of things going on in both of those. But yeah, I would I would call them dystopian. But thanks for the call in, and I think it's cool that um, you used my podcast to have a conversation with your dad. I would love to hear more of his favorite books. If he's a big reader, uh, you can you can tell me what his favorite science fiction books are. Maybe we can put his top 10 list on or top five or something. I think that'd be awesome. Hi, Ray. It's Liren. Colin called in and mentioned audiobooks, and that made me think of my very favorite series of audiobooks, which are Terry Pratchett's books. Um, I never remember the narrator's names. There are two different narrators that did uh, most of his books that are really wonderful. Um, My husband would know him right off the top of his head, and he's not here with me, darn it. Maybe I'll have to ask him and call back. But anyway, I'm just wondering if you are a Terry Pratchett fan and if you've heard any of his audiobooks, because they're just wonderfully done. You know, I love his books on the face of it. I have read most of them in my hands, read them. But I also love the audiobooks, and we drive back and forth to Michigan sometimes. It's about an 11-hour trip, and we almost always listen to Monstrous Regiment because it's such a great book and so well done. Thanks for that suggestion, Liren. I never really got into Terry Pratchett, but I'm thinking as an audiobook, he might really shine because I love that wry humor. Um, and I think as I as I get older, too, I, I mean, I, th- I like to pride myself on having kind of a sense of humor. And as I get older, I'm more accepting of humor in my fantasy and science fiction. When I was a kid, I, I wanted to take fantasy especially seriously. So I didn't really like humor and fantasy. And I got kind of turned off by things like Piers Anthony and some others where they, you know, it was um, basically your magic was based on being able to 
express limericks or something, um, or if there were just silly things in it. I, I remember I was reading through uh, Weiss and Hickman's, um, oh, they have dragons on the cover. I think it's, well, <laughs> that describes every book they ever wrote. <laughs> So, no, it was, uh, I think it was called like Dragon Star or Elven Star or something like that. And I read it and all of a sudden there was like this super overt reference to Tolkien in it. And it, it just broke the fourth wall in a way that really turned me off. And now I'm now that doesn't bother me so much. If I know going into it that it's tongue in cheek, then I can really enjoy it. I listened to Good Omens a while back, and I was kind of iffy on that book. There were parts of it that I absolutely loved, um, so I loved it in pieces as an overall thing. I thought it was you know kind of kind of a mess, and I think the two author uh, authorship really showed up in that in a way that wasn't always fantastic. So I'm looking forward to trying something else by Pratchett, and I, I appreciate the recommendation. Hey Ray. Luke Wade here. I um, was just listening to your um, list of 10 um, fantasy books. Um, I really loved it. And when you said to um, write down the thing that you'd missed out, I, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that Ray has not put any Ursula K. Le Guin in here. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. And then I was actually like laughing with relief when I um, heard that it was in there. <laughs> anyway, as you can tell, I'm a very um, devout Ursula fan. Um, yeah, thanks. I've been listening to um, your podcast a lot. I don't call in much. Been listening to it while I need bread in the evenings. Anyway, uh, keep up the good work. Bye. Shoo, I'm glad we can still be friends, Lou. <laughs> Yes, it would have been a crime not to put Ursula K. Le Guin on there. Um, she's amazing, was amazing, just died recently, was an incredible person, um, a great thinker, and an, an extremely talented writer. Just her language use is so amazing. And uh, I'm glad that you were rooting for her and that I kept you in suspense till the very end. And I love the comment that you were listening to my podcast while you're making bread. I, one of the things I love about audio versus video is that it leaves your hands free to create and uh, a little piece of your mind free to do other things as well. You can pet your dog or take a walk or take out the trash or clean the house while you're doing this stuff. Whereas if you're watching YouTube or you're watching the TV, you don't have, you can't really do all that stuff, right? And unless you take your eyes off of it. Um, it, it kind of fully occupies your being in a way that um, keeps you from being productive. But audio does not. You can feed your mind and work your body at the same time. And I love that. Making bread, what a great thing to do. It makes me want to make some bread. Mmm, bread. Hey, Ray, Aaron Clark. I just finished listening to your audiobook episode. Thanks for that. Um, very interesting. Say, how about any um, tips or pointers on the content side, like where to find audiobooks? Or um, I, I've messed around a little bit with like Audible, but it seems expensive. Um, are there other options out there? Well, where do I find those other options? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, maybe also in the technology side you know what's what are are there good apps better than like the embedded os like ios apps or you know how do you manage your library of audiobooks those kind of technical content details would be interesting at least to a guy like me 
All right. Hope you're having a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, this question, this question. I love it so much. I spend a lot of hours organizing things, especially audiobook and old time radio files. And I'm better than I used to be about it, but it can become an obsession. So let me talk about a couple of things that you might do. First of all, let me talk about content. Um, where are you going to find content? Now, I'm an audible person and I'll talk about that towards the end, but let me start with a free place to get audiobooks, and that is LibriVox. Now, if you don't know about LibriVox, that is volunteers who read public domain works. So the works are in the public domain, and the volunteers read the books and place their recordings in the public domain so that anybody can have them for free. And there are often multiple readings of really popular works. So if you go in and, for instance, look for Dracula, I would bet that there's several different readings of Dracula in there. The shortcomings, well, you know, it has to be in the public domain, but there's a lot of short stories from the pulp magazines that made the public domain, so you might be surprised what you find there. The other shortcoming is is that it's very hit and miss in regards to the voices that read, pronunciations, production quality. Um, they're not always the best. But once in a while you run into a reader that you really like, and I, I will find one of those readers and then find other things that that person has read and pull them because, you know, it's kind of nice to hear things read in different voices. Another good example is um, I think there's probably at least 10 different recordings of The Lost World out there. Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World out on the market. Um, some of them for sale, but I'll bet there's a couple or at least one on LibriVox as well. So LibriVox, that's a that's one good place. And you can download them in MP3 or AUG or you know whatever format works for you. And uh, yeah, that's that's or you can listen to them straight there. I think you can just stream them. The second place that I might recommend, well, I'm not going to recommend it, but I'm just going to tell you about it. It's called Scribed, S-C-R-I-B apostrophe D. If you just search it without the apostrophe on Google, I think you'll find it. This is a website that you pay a monthly fee. I think it's around $8 a month, and you have access to their full inventory of scanned books and audiobooks. I don't think most of it's legal. I think there's a lot of copyright infringement on the site, and so I would be hesitant about suggesting that to you. I have used the service before, mostly to pick up old gaming books that are very, very hard to find in print. So I think I got all my copies of the Strategic Review, for instance, from there. Um, some of my old metagaming uh, books like Death Test 2 came from there. And yeah, it's not it's not 100% above board. Um, it's not legal to grab that stuff. I think Steve Jackson owns the rights to Death Test 2, just reprinted it, and I actually um, had just ordered it the other day in, in the new box, and because um, it was part of the, the fantasy trip reprint that he did. And if I had a place to pay for the strategic review that would actually go to the people that made it, I would. Um, maybe I'll, I'll toss uh, some of the old timers at Gary Khan a few bucks and say, hey, I stole a strategic review off the web. Thanks for doing that. Uh, but <laughs> in the meantime, uh, those works should be in the public domain anyway. Even if they aren't, I, I feel pretty strongly that they should have been, should have moved into the public domain and we should have access to those. But U.S. copyright laws being what they are, they kind of suck. Well, that's a place that you can get audiobooks. If you just don't want to, if you don't care about keeping them, for instance, you just want to listen to them and then be done. Um, Audible for me is the winner. It's the by far the easiest. It's got a huge selection. Um, and here's how to do Audible sensibly. First of all, just to understand what it is, Audible is a place that you buy uh, audio books. They are associated with Amazon. 
now. They didn't used to be. Um, you create an account, so you have to have an account there. It's just an email and a password. You don't have to give them a lot of information, um, but you do have to connect some sort of payment to it, and you pay monthly for a number of credits. Now, I think you can get either one or two credits. Uh, one credit means you can get any book on their site, regardless of its size. It could be a 30-hour long book or a four-hour long book, and you pay one credit for it. You always have the option of paying money instead of a credit. Most credits work out to about $11, so it's about $11 a book. And if you find a book that's going you know, for $7, you're better off paying for it than using your credit unless you just don't have anything else that you want and you know, you've know you got credits lying around. Um, there's a couple things about this. One, uh, you, you keep your books even if you cancel your membership. Okay, So you could get on for a couple months, buy a couple books on credit, and then cancel your membership, um, and then watch the daily deals. I, I bookmark the daily deal, and every day it's one of the first things I check is just to see, hey, what's the audiobook on uh, daily deal today, and how much is it? And they vary from – they've been getting up or, uh, you know, higher lately. They're more around $5 these days, but sometimes uh, they're $2, you know, and they used to be kind of consistently around 2 or $3, and that was perfect. Uh, you could buy them on a whim. And they keep all your content, and the Audible player, for at least for the iPhone, is really great for the most part. It, it's not quite as good as it used to be. They started doing this thing where it wants to connect every time, and, and there's a little bit of a pause, and uh, they don't drop you into your library. They drop you on a different screen now, so I don't like some of the changes they've made to it, but it plays Audible uh, audio files really well. It's it's uh, a good on the battery. It doesn't you know hurt your battery on your phone. Um, it keeps your place where so like you'd be listening to multiple books and it'll know exactly where you left off in each book. Uh, there's just and if you this is the thing I honestly really like about it. Um, I books buy books on Kindle too, and you get a deal if you buy them both. Uh, so like if you bought the audiobook and then you go to buy the Kindle book, you can get the Kindle book for cheaper or vice versa. And I think that's right. I know certainly if you buy the Kindle book first, you get the audiobook for cheaper. And and um, they have what's called WhisperSync. So you can both listen to a book and read it in print and switch back and forth freely. So I might, for instance, be listening to the Dresden Files book I'm on now, which is uh, Cold Days. And I might be on chapter, you know, read up to chapter five in listening while I'm taking a walk. And then come home and sit down in my chair and uh, pick up my iPad and or my iPhone and decide to read in print for a while. When I open up that book on the Kindle app, it says, do you want to go to the you know, the place you left off and you hit yes. And it takes you right to the page you were on while you were listening. You can even do both at once. You can look at the page and have it read to you and the page will turn with the the reading. So it's very cool. It's very well done. Um, one problem I have with it is the stuff has digital rights management on it. And I understand why they have to do that. It just irks me. So I will admit that I break the DRM off of those. Um, with Kindle, I drag it into Caliber, which has a plug-in, although the newest uh, protection method that Kindle has doesn't, you can't break it anymore, at least there isn't, as far as I know, um, an easy way to break it. So only the older books work that way. And then um, with Audible, I have a program that uh, converts them to an MP3 file, um, but it's only it's all in one big file, and I have to break it up if I really want to like have it in chapters, which kind of sucks. But at least I have uh, a copy of it that I know nobody can take away from me. That's that's the part that really bugs me. I don't like this idea that I've got media out there in the cloud that somebody can take away. Um, you can download it in its DRM format, and it won't go away. So there's that uh, as long as you keep a copy. 
And I'd always recommend that you do keep a copy on a hard drive somewhere just, you know, to be safe. But, you know, I don't know. Why, why do we get so concerned about stuff anyway? We can't take it with us. It's uh, In some ways, um, with digital stuff, at least you don't leave your, um, your kids with, uh, you know, 80 bookshelves full of stuff that they don't want, that they either give away for a song or throw into a dumpster. Um, you know, it just, it all goes into the ether. <laughs> or they can always connect to your account and download them or whatever. I don't know. I'm getting off topic. Okay, so that's what I use for content. If anybody else has a, a content recommendation, they can send it along. Now let's talk about, and it's also, uh, well, it's one of the things I use as a player. So let's talk about players. I use Audible uh, as an app for players, but I also use, I have a pretty good collection of um, MP3 books. Uh, and oh, here's an, actually, you know what? This is a combo comment. Um, so libraries have lots of audiobooks, or they used to. I haven't, I haven't gone to a library for a while. But um, back in the 90s, I used to go to the library all the time and I would get audiobooks on cassette or CD ROM, even better. And I would convert them myself into MP3s. So I have a huge collection of, I, you know, yeah, there's no two bones about it. Pirated audiobooks, <laughs> and um, I I'm very meticulous about grooming those, about putting in you know the track names and the uh, covers and all that kind of stuff. And I even know where I got them from in there, so that I know which things are are not um, on the up and up. And when I can, I buy a copy. Like when I started getting into Audible seriously, one of the first things I did was buy a copy of a bunch of the things that I had pirated. So a lot of my stuff became quote unquote legal. Um, all right, I say quote unquote because it's not really legal to have an unprotected copy of it, but that's that's a gray area in the law, and it's it's a little bit like I buy something and I can't have it. What what's up with that? Well, uh, so I have a huge collection of Audible books that are not uh, digital rights managed and don't fit into my Audible account, or sorry, audio books and not audible not Audible books, audio books, and some Audible books that I've converted to just plain old audio books, and um, there's a there's a I used to just put those in iTunes and sync them to my phone uh, and kept, you know, whichever ones I wanted on my phone at any given time. But I found that that, uh, you know, I started liking iTunes less and less as they moved into more of a cloud mentality. So I went to Google Play and uh, Google Play at first was not good for this, but it got better. And now I use it quite a bit. Uh, Google Play has a bunch of free storage that you can use, and you connect it to a folder on your hard drive, and it, anytime you drop something into that folder, it will upload it into your uh, cloud of Google Play stuff, your personal stuff. And I um, I find it, it's pretty good. It, it organizes your books by author, it organizes them by... Um, album title, quote unquote album title. It's made for music, not, you know, audiobooks, but it works um, by genre. So I do a lot to make sure that they sort well and that they're easy to look through um, on on uh, Google Play. And the app on your phone is really good. You can see all your books and you can choose which ones to download so that you don't have them all on your phone at any given time. But, you know, when you're on the road, if you decide you want to, like if you're reading a series and you want the next book in the series, you can just uh, flip a little switch and it'll download that uh, while you're in Wi-Fi so that you can listen to it on the airplane or whatever. Um, and uh, what else about this? The, there are two downsides there. Um, so you don't have to interact with it with a computer, but you, you have somehow you have to get your content up there. And, you know, the, the way to do that is usually from a laptop or a desktop. And uh, there's a thing called Music Manager that does the syncing, whatever. I originally had some trouble when I was uploading, but I was uploading tons and tons of books initially, right? 
couple hundred books initially, tons of files. And I double-checked every file um, count. So I would look in an, a book, an album, if you will. I would look in a book and make sure that it had the right number of files compared to the files on my hard drive to make sure everything got uploaded correctly. Um, I would say just take it slow, do one book at a time, and just, you know check or do a couple books at a time and just check the file count to make sure that all of them got up there correctly and give it some time. Sometimes it takes quite a while. Um, it seems to upload somewhat randomly. It kind of works in threads. So it's probably a file size and whatnot. Any rate, um, there's that. And the other kind of downside to Google play is it does not keep your place if you switch books. So as you're listening to one book, you know, and you stop, it'll always just stay where you stopped it. But if you switch to another book, it forgets where it was at in that first book. So you either have to make a note, um, or remember in your head where you're at in the book so that you can go back to that same spot. And I'm a person that dips into a lot of different books at once. Um, if I if I start to find myself drifting on one, I'll switch to another one to kind of uh, rekindle my focus. There are books that, that require more focus than others. There's books that I've read before that I can just kind of listen along to and enjoy and don't worry so much about, you know, missing something. And there are other books that I want to catch every word. And so, you know, I, I listen to different books at different times for different reasons. Let's put it that way. But Google Play, I, I think I can highly recommend that as a great way to store um, like if you were gonna if you were gonna go completely free, I would say grab your books from LibriVox and also um, Project Gutenberg has downloadable MP3 files as well of uh, books and some of those are great readings. Actually, the ones that I should have mentioned that before, the ones at Project Gutenberg I think come from. Uh, professional recordings in a, in a lot of uh, a lot of times that have been put into the public domain. So if you can find those, those are cool. Not not very many books have them, uh, but they're getting more all the time. And uh, yeah, you can down. So if you just want to go free, I would suggest um, uh, LibriVox and Project Gutenberg as sources for books, and Google Play as a place to store them. And that would be my eight cents. A couple of other quick tips. I uh, prefer the MP3 format. I know it's lossy, uh, but it's audiobooks after all, and unless you've got excellent hearing, it's probably not that big a deal. Um, I also think because it's the human voice, you don't need to, if you're if you're one to mess with um, bit rates and all that kind of stuff, that you don't need to, to go super high. I don't go any higher than 128. Uh, and sometimes I go lower and I often save them as mono because I like to listen with one earphone in at a time and, uh, and you don't really necessarily want a stereo version <laughs> of an audiobook, especially if they're kind of keyed left and right with, uh, with the voices. And uh, I avoid variable bitrate. Uh, I find that some players have trouble with variable bitrate. Not as much as it used to be, but there's still there's still times when I find that those don't play super well. So I, I don't really like those. I like a constant bitrate. It really doesn't, for the most part, save you that much file space. What else is there to say? I use a program called, I think it's called MP3 Tagger trying to find it here. Nope, it's called Music Tag Editor. Uh, on the Mac for editing music tags, I use a program called Name Mangler 3 for um, for changing audio file names. Uh, so changing the, the, you know, the name of the file, obviously. Uh, one of the nice things about Music Tag Editor is you can use those two things in combination. So you change the name of the file and then you can you know even put in like sequential numbers and that kind of thing. Then when you go into Music Tag Editor, you can change the title of each file to match the file name. So it's an easy way to clean up uh, file names if somebody hands you a messy audiobook or if you want to re-number or rename an audiobook. 
let's see, uh, anything else? I, you know, I, there probably is, but I've certainly talked long enough and I think we'll just wrap this one up. I hope it was enjoyable. You may get a few podcasts from me this week. I'm trying to hit my 100 before October or early in October. So I've got a couple already recorded and I'll be spacing them out probably two or three this week and then maybe one next week on Monday uh, to get us into season two. So exciting. I'm still uh, taking call-ins. We'd love to have call-ins from people who want to look back and talk about a favorite episode or just say congratulations or whatever. We'll string all those together for the 100th. It's going to be kind of a indulgent celebration of season one. And I am running a contest right now for people to name the Rust Monster. So if you've got a suggestion for naming the Rust Monster, um, <laughs> send that in to me. You can just email it to me, rayotis at gmail.com. And the prize is going to be a physical copy of all of my zines and mini games. I'm going to you know, print up some and, and uh, send them all in a big packet to you anywhere in the world. So I don't know how great of a prize that is, but it'll, it'll take some effort for me. So, <laughs> and, I, and I hope it's something that you will enjoy. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on right now. And once again, I'd like to thank Logan Howard for my cool theme song, something that will not be changing in season two. And uh, let's see, you can find links to all my things at www.rayotus.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. Until next time, look out for rust monsters. <laughs>